Please be seated. Our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. For those who remain, I'll invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at the end of this chapter and the beginning of the next. Uh, As you're turning there, you may have noticed in your bulletin you have a trust questionnaire as an insert. Uh, This is an excerpt that we've printed with permission from Paul Tripp's book, Marriage, Six Gospel Commitments Every Couple Needs to Make. Um, And uh, it is a good way to work through uh, maybe some of the things that we are going to talk about this morning regarding trust. But it's not just for married couples. I mean, you'll, you'll need to use some discernment as you go through the questions Uh, But this can uh, work out with parents and children. Uh, This could be uh, something that uh, those who are engaged or dating can go through or uh, even roommates, you know, with, you know, using some discernment uh, as what applies to married couples and what doesn't. Uh, But there's a lot of information there uh, that might encourage you and challenge you and help you. And I commend it to you. Um. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 17 through uh, the first two verses of chapter 5. This is God's Word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. And holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Lord Almighty, give us your wisdom. Give us understanding that we may entrust ourselves to you and walk in love even as Christ has loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I like movies. 
like to watch them with people. They're not as much fun when you watch them by yourself. I'll even watch movies more than once. But there is one thing that you have to do with most movies, and that is suspend your disbelief. Like there's, there's always going to be some element of a movie where you just have to say, you know, this isn't possible, but I'm just going to suspend my disbelief for a moment and go with it. But there are some things that I just can't do. I cannot bring myself to the point where I can just say it's okay. Like when the international spy makes it from a safe house in Paris to the bad guy's fortress in Los Angeles in under 30 minutes. Like, it, I can't, like, writers, you can think through these things and, 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 like, you don't have to write yourself into these corners where you just have to defy all the laws of reality and physics to make it possible. And this is one of the reasons I so appreciate J.R.R. Tolkien's work because in The Hobbit... And in The Lord of the Rings especially, he didn't just you know, think hard about things. He developed languages. He drew maps. He, even with the wars and the, how the armies moved, went through the hard work of figuring out the logistics of how an orc army can make it from point A to point B and still have their supply chains and all of this. Like He put all this work into thinking through these things so that when you read it, it feels real because he's immersed you in a world that has substance. This passage, you may have noticed, does not use the word trust or faith. Yet it immerses you in a world where trust is is the, the fabric that holds this community together. It is a, a picture that doesn't defy reality, but while setting a high and glorious standard, gives us a picture of what life ought to look like in the family and household of God. And that, the common thread, the fabric that that holds it all together is loving trust. And so we're going to consider how it works itself out here this morning as we consider trust, what it is, how it works. We're going to ask three questions this morning. First is this, why is trust necessary for healthy community and relationships? How can trust be revived if lost? And how can we maintain a healthy trust in our relationships and communities? So let's consider that this morning as we consider this first question, why is trust so necessary relationships? This is an important first question to ask because if you start to think about what trust really is, you'll realize it's really, really hard. And surely there ought to be an easier way. And so we scramble and we, we look for it. What will it look like for us to have relationships and not worry so much about trust? Because it's so impossibly hard. I've given you a a, a trust questionnaire that we took from Paul Tripp, and and in that, and in his book, he defines trust this way. You could define it different ways, but I like this definition. Trust is being so convinced that you can rely on the integrity, strength, character, and faithfulness of another that you are willing to place yourself in his or her care. When you think about it, that's hard. Because trust is not about, like, what will you do for me? It's how will I put myself 
in your hands. And even in little things, we don't do this. Just an example from ordinary life. Tracy, the other day, was uh, trying to help me get ready for the pastor's class and eagerly said, I'll go to the store for you. And like, none of it, nobody likes to go to the store. That this is a blessing and a kindness. She's like, I'll go to the store for you and get this stuff. And if you've ever tried to buy horseradish, it's in this place. And there were other things I needed. And I thought, well, I don't know what the whole list does. And, and as wondrous and kind as she was to offer, I was like, I'll just do it myself. It's just easier. I'll just do it myself. And I wasn't grumpy or angry or upset or like didn't try. But it's just easier to do it myself. It's, it feels easier to not trust other people. Just to be on our own. And if you look at verses 17 through 24, where Paul is talking about our life apart from Christ, he's talking about those who are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, who have become callous and given themselves up to their own sensuality, their own greed, to practice every kind of impurity, to just do life themselves. In our sinful state, if left to ourselves, trust, trust is almost impossible. We'll have a conditional trust. I'll let you do these things if I get out of it what I want. But this kind of selfless trust is next to impossible because we're so wrapped up in just doing it ourselves, doing what we want, how we want, when we want. But real lasting, dare I say, eternal relationships require trust. So don't be content to live in a relationship where trust has died. We'll talk about how to revive that trust in a moment, but but how is it that trust dies so easily in our relationships? What are some of the ways where we live out this this sinful inclination, where we pursue selfishness and not self-giving, where we pursue self-reliance and not trust? How, in other words, are we prone to kill trust in our own relationships? For those of you who are married, think think about the language and the words that you use. Paul says here, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And he's not just talking about curse words. But only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. How often, though, is the talk that comes out of our mouth corrupting? It tears down. It manipulates. It, we, if, you have, if you find yourself saying over and over again, That's not what I said, but everybody, including you, knows that's what you meant. That's corrupting talk. How often does that infect our marriages to the point where we don't even want to talk to one another and we don't trust the words? Our parents... How we let the sun go down on our anger and we let it fester at our children because they're not doing, not living up, not behaving, it's not working out. They're rebellious or whatever, but we ourselves provoke our own children to anger because we're not able or willing 
to confess our own wrongs, our own sins, our own failures. And so we just let anger fester in those relationships, and we grow further and further and further apart. Some of you may not be married. You may not have children. You may be thinking, like, I'm on my own. I don't have to trust anybody else. I have to go to the store myself whether I want to or not. And yet there's this passage here, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, and I'm not calling you thieves, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's this, this, this interesting calling that the thief, you're not supposed to steal, you're supposed to work, but not working just for yourself. You're working to give. You're working to share with others that your life is not alone. You've broken trust before. Live in such a way that... that, that builds this trust. You're serving, you're helping others, not just living it out for your own good. There is this tendency for us, if we don't have others to care for, we don't have others to trust, that we can just live for ourselves and we forget this calling that we are in Christ to live for others, to help anyone in need. Or even here in this congregation, how, how have we killed trust? Maybe we've, we've let grudges fester. Maybe we've not reached out to support in, in need. Maybe we've, we've just not been true to our promises. The promises we made when we joined to study the purity and peace of the church, to support the worship and work of the church. The promises we made when we celebrate the covenant of ba- covenant baptism and, and we raise our hands, but we don't sign up for nursery. We don't go to the one that we've upset. We don't run to work reconciliation out. We don't keep our promises. And it erodes and degrades trust. That's hard, isn't it? To go to someone that you're upset with and say, not to lord it over them, but, but by way of invitation, hey, I'm upset. How can we work this out? Or even worse, to go to someone you know is upset with you. But trust is being so convinced that you can rely on the integrity, strength, character, and faithfulness of another that you're willing to place yourself in their care, even in that moment when something's gone wrong. Trust is necessary for relationships. But trust, trust is easily broken. How how can it can it be revived if lost? It takes a long time to really build up trust, but it only takes a breath, a moment, one thing to break it, perhaps beyond repair. And it may seem impossible to ever put it back. It's like building this ornate sandcastle. It only takes one wave, and it's gone. Can it be rebuilt? Can it be renewed? Can it be restored? And in this passage, while Paul waits a while to get to the point, this therefore in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, points us 
to what Christ has done to restore the trust between God and his people. He's led the way to rebuilding and renewing trust and shows us how it's possible, shows us that it's possible, where once we were alienated from God, now we are dearly loved children. All because Christ loved us when we were unlovely, sought us out when we were lost and blind, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God that we might be forgiven our sins and clothed in righteousness and holiness, that we might be renewed in the very likeness of God. He has made it possible for us to put off the old self and put on the new. And what this shows us is that if we are to ever revive trust once lost, we have to start with our relationship with the Lord, with the vertical, before we ever get to the horizontal. And in fact, it's often, not always, but often a good clue that your relationship with the Lord is off when the trust in your earthly relationships is broken more and more. And yet the Lord who leads the way to restore our trust in God and God's relationship with us shows us how it is possible to see trust restored and rebuilt with others. How? We could say a lot about this, but just briefly, it allows us to be honest. Like one of the the hardest parts of earning and, and living out trust is that honesty to to be full of integrity, to not shade the truth. To be honest that perhaps what it is you have done has grieved the Holy Spirit. Like When trust is broken, we can step into that difficult place, not full of self-defense, but with honesty about how we have contributed to that. Because we know that we who have grieved the Holy Spirit, if we can be forgiven in Christ, Christ can be at work, even in this relationship. But all too often what we do instead is we go in like with, with the targeting screen up. Right? Like, what have you done? How have you broken trust? And we never pause to, to consider, how am I being experienced in this moment? Right? When we get defensive, when we get in a bind, when we step into the difficult spaces, are we making it worse? Are we a bull in a china shop? Have we the humility and integrity and honesty to pause and ask, how am I being experienced by this person where there's no trust, where it's been broken or harmed? Am I making it worse? Am I making it better? Am I putting all the blame on them? Am I being honest about the causes and contributions here. If we believe, if we trust that Christ has made us the very children of God, reconciled and restored to him, we can step into these places of broken trust with honesty and integrity. Not looking for the other person to get it right, 
modeling the very change we want to see. We also step into those places knowing that we're not alone. Paul lays out this, this life saying that we are members of one another. You speak truth to us. You all. He's, he's southern here. The Greek is southern. It says y'all in all these places. This isn't an individualistic affair. This is for us to do together. And we're not in it alone. And when trust is broken, and sometimes broken so bad that you don't even have a starting point to connect, there's an opportunity to reach out for help, to find others. Maybe you married couples need to find another married couple that you can go to, that you both respect and say, we are, we are absolutely in shambles. Maybe you roommates need to go to a professor or a, a leader or a, a friend that you both respect and, and say, like, like, we can't even get to a place where we're talking about whose Doritos they were because we are so at odds with one another. We're not in it alone. We can seek help. We can reach out to the body. We are not in it alone. We're to speak truth in love to our neighbors. And when we do this hard work, when we step into these places where it seems like trust is impossible to rebuild, we can step into those places, not just with honesty, not just seeking help from outside, but with real hope that God can renew us. For in Christ, the way that we have learned in Christ, that that Paul starts talking about in verse 20, is that in Jesus, we can put off the old self. Put on the new. And we see that in Scripture, this isn't a one-time promise. In Colossians 3, we're, we're told that we are daily renewed in the knowledge and image of our Creator. Maybe even the very old self that you put on this morning, you can find hope that you can put that off and put on Christ afresh today. And if he can make that possible for you, he can work that change and transformation in even some of the darkest places of your relationships. You have hope. Trust can be revived and can be restored once lost, but do you you hear the theme in this? Too often we're waiting for the other person to earn our trust. You need to get your act together. You need to fix this. I'm not going to take the first step. But here we're called to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ walked. Who took the initiative. Who stepped in to the dark places. Who bore the sin and the shame of his people. Who didn't wait for us to get it right. That, that, friends, is not easy. And you can't do it on your own. You need the Lord's help. So how then? How can we build and maintain a healthy trust? If trust is so fragile, can we ever really have it in this life? Here's the thing about trust. It is fragile. It's like a snowflake. It just lands on your finger and it's gone. 
But if you get enough of them, like we did seven or eight years ago, like at eight or nine inches, you can build forts out of it, which we did. If you build more and more trust, the more of it you have, the stronger it gets. And it brings with it a real rest and peace. Read verse 32. Let's start start in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Put yourself in that world. Put yourself in that community where when anger and malice and clamor and slander rise up, there's enough trust that the community works and strives to put it away so that they can live out tenderhearted forgiveness and kindness. Peace would you have? What rest would you have in that place? It's the thing about trust. It takes a lot of work to build, but it's a work that brings with it a sweet rest. If somebody called me and said, Hey, I need I know you've never been a brick mason, but I need you to go build me this building, and I hear all the bricks and the mortar, go build it. Like that'd be exhausting work. And I don't know what I'm doing. It probably wouldn't stick, but whatever. Like, I wouldn't make it two hours, probably. I remember being on a mission trip in Mexico, and we had to chip this concrete away, and we're chipping for hours and hours, and it feels like I didn't make any progress at all. Then somebody who knew what they were doing, like, did it in 30 minutes, but whatever. Like, it was exhausting and unfruitful. But when we were building those snow forts, it was hours and we were coming up with all kinds of new ways. Oh, we, we can get like things and make bricks and, 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 oh, spikes to keep people from rushing the snow fort because, you know, whatever, safety's not number one priority or whatever. Like it was fun and restful and, and as weary as we were, it was worth it. And that's the kind of work trust building is, is a, a work that brings joy and peace and rest. It doesn't just happen. It requires intentionality. So what are some of the ways we can live this out in our relationships? For those of you who are married, consider the rest that is possible when you are truly known by somebody else. Not just the good parts, like not just the stuff you put on your Instagram. Like you are truly known and yet loved and treated with tender-hearted kindness and forgiveness. What does it, what would it, what would it bring? What rest and peace would it bring to your life? What rest and peace would you bring to others? If the first thing they thought about you how kind you were, how forgiving and tender-hearted you were. But to do that, to have that kind of, of life, it, it requires this forgiveness that keeps short accounts. 
We can't be a people who just let things go and let things go and let things go and let things go and they build up and they build up and they build up and 20, 30, 40 years later, they blow up. And keeping short accounts isn't about like ignoring stuff. It's about quickly, let's bring these things up. Let's put an end to the clamor and the slander and the anger and the malice. Can't do that if you don't acknowledge it exists. Stepping into those hard places and learning kindness and forgiveness because God in Christ forgave you. For you parents, maybe it looks like taking risks to actually trust your children. And I don't mean being like, Yes, go play in the middle of the eight-lane highway. I trust you. But like, how will they learn what trust is if they never see it from you? And when they break that trust, how do you respond? Do you react? Or you, do you respond in a way that draws them in and teaches them afresh and anew why trust is so important, how they broke it, and what forgiveness and grace looks like. Or do they only see the anger and the bitterness and the wrath? For those of you who aren't married or don't have children, trust trust is something that happens in relationships. You, you, You can't do it in isolation. You can't have the joy and peace of trust if you're all alone. But we are members of one another. We aren't supposed to be alone. We are called to live life together. Being married doesn't make you better at that. Having kids doesn't make you better or worse at that. We are all, however God has gifted us, with what, wherever God has called us, called to live life together. How are you connecting on purpose? to those around you, in this body, in your community. It's one of the great things about the men's retreat this weekend is I'm looking around a table and there's like people who are like, I grew up in this church. People, I, I watched you grow up in this church. And other people are like, I just got here. I've, I've been a member for four months. You know? And there's just all these kinds of different backgrounds, different people, different stories. And what a joy it was to hear all of it together. That doesn't happen by accident. You have to connect. You have to live like you're a part of something. And so for us as a church, if we want to be a church where we trust one another, we have to be a church that remembers who Christ is, what he has done and what he is doing to teach us what it means to be imitators of God as dearly loved Children. I'll leave you with this question. I don't know where you are. I don't know what difficulties you are navigating. I don't know what hardships. I don't know if they are simple. I don't know if they're big. I don't know if they are near or far. How might Christ help you equip you, teach you, lead you to see trust renewed in those relationships today.
He is able. May God grant that prayer. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to trust you, that you are able to do these works in us and through us. But all too often, we just rely on ourselves. We think it's easier to do it ourselves. We think we have enough wisdom to figure it out ourselves. But we need you, not just to lead the way, but to equip us to be a people who live, who live out a life that is characterized by your life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us to put off the old self that was alienated from you, where we were alienated from one another, and to put on the new self, where we love one another in a way that builds trust. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.